it wasn't too long ago, a couple of months ago, Darcy alluded to me to a story that she had read, and it was so wild that I thought I should share it with you. Uh, she told me that there was this guy that would regularly go and place flowers at the graveside of a family member. He would do this every couple of weeks just to remember that person. And one day he noticed that the gravesite next to his family member's one never received any flowers. Well, he read the gravesite and found out it was a 37-year-old man who had died on Christmas Day. Well, the guy started to feel bad for him, so he started to bring flowers for his gravesite too. He did that every couple of weeks when also visiting his family member. He did that too, every couple of weeks for two and a half years until one day he decided, who is this guy? I might Google him. I might do a bit of research to find out who this guy is. And this is, this is where the story gets wild, right? Turns out this guy killed his wife, her parents, and himself on Christmas Day. I mean, that's a good way to not get any flowers, so then this guy started to feel really bad for the wife and her parents. So he found their grave sites and he started to take flowers to their grave sites every couple of weeks as he would go. And he did that for quite a while. Then one day he was placing those flowers down on those grave sites when a woman approached him and said, Hey, who are you? Why are you placing flowers on my auntie and grandparents' grave sites? And he's like, Okay, I know this is going to sound weird. And he began to explain the story to her. Then he asked her out on a date. And now they're married. <laughs> True story. If you're still single, <laughs> there is a place you have not yet tried. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> if you're new to our church, I apologize. I don't usually... Sometimes things aren't quite as they seem, right? Sometimes there's more to it. This guy thought it was just some poor fella not getting flowers who, was, who died on Christmas Day, but it turns out there was a different story at play than what he expected. Have you noticed that? That sometimes we assume something, but it turns out there is a different story at play. Sometimes we read something and assume the wrong thing about it. In John 14 verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now you might at first think, man, Jesus is full of himself. Jesus is exclusive. Jesus, by saying that sort of thing, isn't tolerant of other people's beliefs. Jesus, that's a pretty bold statement to make. I remember finishing up year 13 at Pakaranga College in East Auckland, and we would have these appointments with the careers department so that we could chat about what we wanted to do after school. They had all these brochures in different universities, different courses, different apprenticeships. And I remember sitting in front of this guy who had my grades and had all of my report comments to give me some advice on what I should do after school. Now, it sounds really helpful, but I remember thinking it was so frustrating. I was like, cool, so what do you think I'd be good at? And he was like, well, what do you think you'd be good at? I was like, wow, you know, I'm interested in a few different things. Like, do you think I should go to university? He says, well, I can't tell you what to do. Would you like to go to university? I'm like, bro, do your job. Like, stop putting the questions back to me. Stop being so wishy-washy. Give it to me straight. Please just look at my grades and make some appropriate suggestions. If being a lawyer isn't for me, save me the embarrassment and give a brother a heads up. Have you ever been in a position like that where you just wanted to be told the answer? Like you actually just wanted someone to be straight with you. You didn't want it to be complex. You didn't want to get wrapped up in all the confusion. You just wanted someone to tell you straight. You just wanted some clarity. Well, in Mark chapter 10, there's a guy who can relate. And he's known in this passage of scripture as the rich young ruler. He's rocking the Gucci slides. He's got the tiger fur coat, Spotify premium account, right? This guy, 
He's baller, but there's one thing he doesn't have. And so he asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Fair question. How do I live forever? How do I go to heaven? And Jesus said, man, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. And this guy's like, yeah, I know all of them, and I've been following them all of my life. Kind of proud about it. And you get a sense that as he answers this way, Jesus was kind of hoping he would answer in such a way. Jesus is kind of hoping that this guy would think that he could be obedient enough to impress God. Jesus caught him hook, line, and sinker. And so Jesus speaks to his heart. He says, actually, there's something you haven't done yet. Can you lick your elbow? (laughs) Until you can do that now. He says, sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come follow me. That's a pretty big claim. Pretty big request, rather. The Bible says that he became very sad for he had many possessions. Jesus was saying to him, stop relying on your own brilliance, your own obedience, your own success, and understand that none of that gives you access to heaven. Sell it all and put your trust in me. Devote yourself to me, put your faith in me, and then you can live forever. Now, let me clarify for anyone sitting here today. Jesus is not asking all of us to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor. But what he is getting at is there is only one way, and it's not the way we usually think. See, when we try to impress God with our obedience, we've misunderstood what Jesus was saying. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but ends in death. When we try to conquer life by becoming rich and famous, we've misunderstood what Jesus was saying. See, I know it would have been so hard for the rich young ruler to hear that, but I bet in some respects he was thankful that Jesus told him straight. At least Jesus didn't say, well, you need to just pursue sanctified righteousness, die to yourself so you can live as a new creation. The guy would have been like, what? So what do I do? Like, how do I compute that? Jesus is breaking down this very idea that our salvation and our closeness with God is built on our success, our ability, and our own strength. He's helping this guy to see, and perhaps us as we lean in today, that while it's okay to have success in life, it's only surrender to Jesus that gives you real, fulfilling, satisfying, overflowing life. Look, I'll be the first to admit, when you first start coming to church, and you're like, all right, I'll read this thing called the Bible, when you open it up, it can be confusing. There's all these different words, there's all these new ideas, and you kind of end up feeling like you finish after reading with more questions than you do have answers. Figuring out the God stuff can be tough. When it comes to knowing God, don't you wish we just knew how? Don't you wish someone would just tell us straight, like, how do I get to God? How can I actually know Him? Someone just stop with the wishy-washy and tell me straight. Well, Jesus, when He's speaking to His disciples, He says this in John 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. (laughs) No, we don't, Thomas. He says, well, hold up. We don't. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. He says, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I only became a Christian when I was 20 years old. So all throughout high school, I thought, God, church, Christians, I thought the whole thing was a joke. And I remember being in high school and I heard that verse. I'm not sure if I heard it or read it somewhere. It doesn't matter. I became aware of that verse. And I remember thinking, how dare Jesus say that? 
How dare he be so obnoxious to claim that he is the only way, that no other way counts, no other way works. When I first read that or heard it, I thought, man, it sounds so arrogant, so exclusive. I I thought it didn't sound right or fair. I made an initial assumption of what was going on, but it turns out it actually wasn't what I expected. I assumed that being made right with God was dependent on the way that we lived our life, like living a good life. Because there's all sorts of different ways that we use, right? We try to justify in our own hearts that we might have right standing with God. There's this one common one, being a good person. We say, oh, Granny, lovely person. Such a good person. No one ever had a bad word to ever say about Granny. If anyone's going to be in heaven, it's Granny. Or this guy, man, she's such a sacrificial life. So, so generous, gave to charity all his life, served people with his whole heart, his whole life. If anyone's going to be in heaven, that guy was such a good guy. We use that one commonly. Or this one, philosophy. We come up with all these good sounding human arguments in the pursuit of truth. Truth is within us, we say. Truth is what we want it to be. Wisdom is the journey to discover what truth means for us. And when we discover our truth, we'll reach the pinnacle of life. The problem with these is that they completely ignore what the Bible is actually saying. We think as long as someone was a good person and they helped others, then surely they would go to heaven, right? The problem is good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. That's a really important distinction. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. This is so radical because it means our access to God has nothing to do with what you do and everything to do with what God has already done for us. Everyone can have access to God, but it's not because you're a good person. It's because you realized your need for Him. That is great news for us. When Jesus is nailed to the cross, there's another criminal hanging on his left and one on his right on their own respective crosses. I mean, these guys were actually criminals. Jesus wasn't. They were the definition of not a good person. And one of the guys makes a remark to Jesus, essentially recognizing him as God. And Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in heaven. This guy hadn't read any scripture. He hadn't given to charity. He didn't even get a chance to begin to change his behavior. He simply placed his faith in Jesus. And in that moment, he was forgiven of his sin and given the promise of eternity in heaven with God. It had nothing to do with what the criminal was doing and everything to do with what Jesus was doing in that moment on the cross. See, a lot of people's response to Jesus' claim uh, that he is the only way is that he's arrogant and that he's selfish. They think he's prideful and non-inclusive, like, Any other way doesn't count. All the other thousands of ways you might pursue, don't waste your time. I'm the only way. And they think it's so rude to claim that he's the only way to get to God. But let me take a moment to just explain to you just how loving and gracious that very statement is. You know, in Hinduism, believers are striving to to achieve a state called moksha. To reach moksha is all about self-realization and the fullness of life through suffering. They believe in reincarnation, where you come back to life many, many times in order to keep suffering many, many times so you can eventually be cleansed of your sin and reach moksha and finally be at full peace with God. There is an element of persevering in order to save yourself, and until you do that, you will never be at peace with God. In Islam, they believe it isn't necessary to be forgiven of sin and that Jesus' death had no real significance. Instead, the way to be saved is to balance the scales to have your good deeds outweigh your bad ones. And so again, there is a weight and pressure on the person to be good enough for God, to perform, to earn their way into heaven and right standing with God. In Buddhism, you live in a continual state of trying to achieve a full understanding of the teachings of Buddha. Only when you have a complete understanding do you reach enlightenment 
and can enter into a state of nirvana. See, until that point, you keep returning across multiple lives to try again and again and again. The escape of suffering rests on the person's ability to escape it for themselves. All of these have something in common, right? You must do it. You must achieve it. You must be good enough. But the God of the Bible, the only true God, was willing to take the punishment upon himself. He went to a cross to pay a price that you and I couldn't, deserve to pay, couldn't afford to pay. He went and paid that price so that we could have freedom. We could have the forgiveness of sin. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't do it. There's no way you could do it in your own strength. And yet he did it for us. It is by faith in Christ alone. Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The God of the Bible was so loving and gracious that he would not only make it clear for us, he would also make it easy. See, Jesus' black and white statement wasn't prideful and exclusive. It was loving and gracious. Let me put it this way. If I were a nasty God, I'd make you try and figure out how to please me. Good luck. I'd make that way really hard. You'd have to try and find a way to please me. It would be confusing. It would be really difficult. Any guy out there that has a girlfriend or a wife, you know exactly what this is like. You say, what would you like? And they say, you should know what I like. What do you want? You should know what I want. It's like, ah, just tell me. And once you eventually figured it out, you know what I do if I was a nasty God? I'd just make the way really hard, really exhausting, really weighty, really taxing. I'd make you work your way towards me. Well, thank God I'm not God, because the God of the Bible not only makes it clear, but He makes it easy. In fact, He makes it everything to do with Him and what He's done, and nothing to do with us and what we've done. It's not about what we can achieve, it's what He already achieved on the cross. I'm just here to tell you today that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except Him, and I'm so thankful that we serve a God that is loving enough to tell us straight. I've got a couple of thoughts today that are going to change your life <laughs> coming out of the claims of Jesus. The first one is this, finding God is clear. Have you ever found yourself thinking what God is like? Maybe, maybe your friends asked you. Maybe you've just contemplated it yourself, and it's hard to put words to it. Because if I was to ask you what your best friend is like, you could answer me pretty easily. You might say, oh, they're really kind. They're good at piano. They're really patient when they drive. They have blonde hair. Maybe they enjoy long chats. And I'm not describing myself, by the way. You might say, they like having long chats into the night. Or they binge watch too many TV shows. You can do that because you know them. Like you can literally just look at their life, see how they live, and make observations. So how do we describe God? Well, this is interesting because right after Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life, he says this in verse 7. He says, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. God was so aware that you and I would struggle to know God just in a spiritual sense that he sent his son Jesus so that we could see God as a person. Thank you, God, for making it clear to us. It means when Jesus is kind to the rejects of society, we can see that's what God is like. When Jesus gets really passionate about God's house and he flips out when people mistreat it, we can see that's what the heart of God is like. When Jesus is patient towards children and he explains that it's a special place in his heart for them, we can see that that is what the heart of God is like. I'm gonna help make it nice and easy for you today. The more you learn about and know Jesus, the more you know God. Whatever Jesus said, that was God saying it. Whatever Jesus thought or did, that was God thinking it and doing it. Jeremiah 29 
Verse 11 to 13. Now, you know the first part of it if you've been coming to Elam for a little while. It's kind of like our statement versus a church. In fact, it's on the wall as you walk in on your right in size 4 million font on the wall, right? It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. But wait, there's more. The verse continues. It says, In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. The other day I was playing hide and seek with Boston, our little two-year-old, and I would go and hide in the next room, and he'd come giggling down the hallway with his fat little feet. I could hear him coming, giggling. Now, I was out of sight, but the truth is, I really wanted him to find me. And like when he would finally come around into the room and go crazy, I'd wrap him up in a big hug. God isn't playing some twisted game of hide and seek where he's trying to stay hidden from you. He may be out of sight, but when you search, with him, search for him with your whole heart, you will find him and he will wrap you up the moment that you do. He actually wants you to find him. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father, that's where you want to go, except through me, he was making it nice and clear for us. Second thing is this, be, sorry about that gesture. Being right with God is easy. Being right with God is easy. See, unlike what other religions try to claim about being made right with God, the God of the Bible is so gracious because He paid the price. He's the one that made a way. We don't need to strive and work our way up to God for He's already reached down to us. You might say, well, Frosty, what about all the rules? What about all the restrictions? What about all the things that Christians are meant to do? And here's where we get it wrong, and I want to help you today. There is only one thing that gives you right standing with God, and it's faith in Jesus. That's it. There's only one thing that gives you right standing with God, and it is faith in Jesus. How to be forgiven? Faith. How to find healing? Faith. How to be made whole? Faith. How to use your spiritual gifts? You've got to have faith. How to forgive someone who's hurt you? That's hard. You can't do that in your own strength. It is only by faith. How to truly know who you are? faith. In fact, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things not yet seen. Being made right with God is easy because He's already made a way for us. It's about acknowledging our need for Him and receiving His grace in our lives. But you need to know this. Uh, It's important to add this to what I've just said. The sort of faith that saves you is the sort of faith that inspires and motivates you to change and alter your life. But that transformed life that comes about because of that isn't what saves you. Oh, but I live a good life. Oh, but I'm a good person. That was never the thing that saves you. That's just the fruit of the pursuit. That's just the byproduct of what happens when you seek Jesus with your whole heart and you align your life with His Word. You mean it's tell me I can just have faith in Jesus and live how I like? Well, technically it's only faith in Jesus that saves you, but the sort of faith in Jesus that saves you is the same sort of faith that motivates you to change your life and honor God with all that you've got. See, we can come to God, we can be forgiven of our sins, start a brand new life with Him, amen, but still be carrying our sinful life. Because the Bible says the victory of Jesus on the cross breaks the penalty and the power of sin in our life. But it can still take some time, right? For those who've been a Christian a while, you know it can still take some time for God to work on the parts of our life that don't yet honor Him. Because we can immediately be set free spiritually, but we have to train our body to come into alignment with that same resurrection power. Don't choose to disqualify yourself because you feel like your life doesn't look like it's supposed to. It doesn't look like it's supposed to yet. And I'm not saying a transformed life doesn't matter. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it comes out of knowing God.
Seek God, seek his face, read his word, align your life with it, and you will find that your life changes. Because once we give our lives to Jesus and we start living for him, what you'll find, if it wasn't like that already, you actually want God to change you. And sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, depending on the thing that he's changing. But you actually have this growing desire in your heart, I want God to transform me. Once you give your life to Jesus, you actually want to start treating people better. You want to start making decisions that honor him. You realize, actually, I want to save sex for marriage because that's the way that God designed it. You want to spend time reading the Bible because you don't want to rely just on sermons and podcasts. You want to hear the Word of God for yourself. I don't know if you knew this already, but you're made right with God by having faith in Jesus. He made a way for us where we couldn't have possibly made a way for ourselves, and He's been pursuing you all the days of your life. In 1981, in Minnesota, in the USA, a car was stolen— And it was being broadcast all over the local radio stations. Now, usually, a stolen car wouldn't be considered special enough to be announced on the local radio stations, but this was a special case. The driver of that car had a packet of crackers on the passenger seat, and they were laced with poison. He was going to use the crackers as rat bait later that day, but then his car got stolen. If the thief ate those crackers, he was a dead man. And so the police were carrying out this frantic search for the car and the driver, and they were announcing it on the radio stations in the hopes that he would hear it and not eat the rat poison. They were far more concerned with catching the thief to save his life than they were punishing him. And so often we run from God thinking we're avoiding punishment, when really what we're actually doing is just avoiding his attempt to rescue us. LJ, you can join me on keys. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You know when you've got like an exam coming up, for students, of course, a test, maybe a big presentation at work, a job interview, anything like that, and it feels weighty feels like there's a pressure, like you can sort of like almost physically feel the weight as you carry it around. We would call that a burden. You're carrying a burden. That's what it feels like when you believe that you have to get yourself sorted before you come to God. Like I need to get my ducks in a row. I don't know enough scripture. I, I don't live the life I think I'm probably supposed to be living and so I'll just I'll get to God when I sort it all out. But Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you a burden that is light. It shouldn't feel heavy to be a follower of Jesus. Now, don't hear me wrong on that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it shouldn't feel heavy. He gives us a lightness. He restores our soul. We can rest in confidence that we can know Him and be close to Him because He already made a way. God loves you and He has a plan for your life. In fact, He loves you so much. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And whether you've heard those words of Jesus before, where He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I need you to know He wasn't being prideful, arrogant, or exclusive. In fact, this was Him reaching down to us in our humanity to say, I love you enough to tell you straight. Here it is nice and clear. You need Jesus. 
And He's the only way to be forgiven and made whole. And here's the best part. It's easy for us because He's already won the victory on the cross. You can't earn it or deserve it. You simply receive it as a free gift. I'm about to finish. Story goes that little Tom one day wandered down to the river with his little toy boat. He was so excited to see this boat finally float on the river. And he tied a little string to it. He extended it out on the river and he just sat back on the bank with the sun shining and just admired this little beautiful boat bobbing up on the river. Sounds like a good story, but all of a sudden the strong current came and it began taking the boat down the river. And so Tom quickly tried to pull the boat in, pulling a string in, but a string snapped. So he jumped up and he started running down the sandy bank as fast as he could, but the boat drifted further and further and further away until it was finally out of sight. Well, Tom, heartbroken, searched all afternoon for that little boat until it was too dark. Hadn't found it and he sadly went home. Well, a couple of days later, Tom is on his way home from school and he sees what looks like his toy boat in the store window of a shop he was walking by. And so he ran up to the window, peered right inside, and sure enough, that was his boat. So he goes inside and speaks to the store manager, Sir, that's my boat in the window. I made it. He says, Sorry, son. Someone bought it in this morning. If you want it, you'll have to buy it for $1. Well, Tom rushes home, counts up all his pocket money, exactly $1. He rushes back to the store, in the door, up to the store manager, says, Here you go, sir. Here's the money for my boat. He buys it, he grabs it, and as he's walking out holding his little boat, he says to it, now you're twice mine. You're mine because I made you, and you're mine because I bought you. And maybe you feel like the rope is broken and the current of life has sent you downstream out of sight. There is a God who made you and has been pursuing you all the days of your life. You're not only His because He made you, you're also His because He paid the ultimate price to have you. You're twice His. He paid the price of sending His Son Jesus to a cross to buy your freedom, to redeem you, and to bring you back home. And so I'm going to finish the message today with a prayer. It's an invitation to every single person in this room, both those just attending, those serving in the team, those in the parents' room. It's an invitation to come to Jesus. For many people in this room, they've already made that decision. For others, you're about to. How amazing to start your year in communion and closeness with the God who made you and the God who bought you. You might say, man, but me? I hope I've explained it enough. <laughs> you, in your messiness, in your brokenness, good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. And God offers you the free gift of salvation today. Why don't we all close our eyes? I'm gonna lead us in this prayer. I'm gonna pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. But don't go through motions. Don't just say words. You commit your life to God today. And He says, if you do, it's actually the prayer that doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. The prayer is sharing your devotion and your commitment to Him. If you do, the old would be gone and the new would come. You'd be made a brand new creation. I'm gonna pray this out loud. You pray this in your heart. Say, dear God, I acknowledge today that I need you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I realize today, God, that if I want to know God, if I want to be with Him in heaven, it has to come through you, Jesus. I believe you went to a cross 
you took a punishment for the sin in my life so that I could walk free instead. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And today with the faith that I've got, I thank you that you do. I ask you to make me brand new, break the chains, smash the walls, give me freedom and vision for my life. Today I choose to commit my whole life to you, holding nothing back. 